Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who, you, uh, who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And that all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. And the second reading is um, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways will be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the, nation, all the people praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the end, to, so that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. Thank you, Jess. Good evening, everyone. Evening. It's not morning. It's evening. Uh, sorry, I get that wrong all the time. Um, great to be with you. I'm uh, Nick Van Ruth. I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist. And we are entering into Missions May, a month that we are focusing on uh, God's mission to the world. And we know it's not May. We're not confused. We just wanted to sneak in an extra week into uh, Missions May. So let's just pretend that today's tomorrow for a minute or 30 and uh, we'll talk about God's mission in May. Of course, we talk about God's mission. We're on God's mission all the time. But we want to take the, fo- the opportunity to focus on it in the month of May. Now, why spend a whole month talking about mission? And we'll also be focusing on, uh, like, we'll be focusing on uh, cross-cultural mission. And the, the, the fundraising we'll be doing will be towards our cross-cultural mission partners. We'll also be highlighting some of the local mission opportunities we're involved in, where we see and we're partnering with God uh, in mission in the area. Why do this? Why talk about local mission? Why talk about global mission? Why concern ourselves with these things at all? Why do mission at all? Because there's enough to do just to sort out the people inside the church. Why worry about people outside the church, right? Good question, I hear you ask. Let me start with telling you about a guy called Hudson Taylor. Who's heard of Hudson Taylor before? Good, a good bunch of you. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And he, in, he started, um, uh, he was a missionary to China uh, from England, um, 1853, he went with the Chinese evangelizing group or anything, something like that. I can't remember the group. That's not what he's known for. I can see Lee's a bit confused because he knows what's coming. But um, he went with one organization to the coasts of China 
and had a pretty successful mission there. Uh, like on the coast of China, there's a lot of um, connection with other countries, particularly with the West. So they were pretty westernized people already. So the mission field was kind of already like a few steps ahead. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of people there spoke English. A lot of people were familiar with Western people and missionaries coming in. And, and it, was, it was, you know, a fairly successful mission. But there was a sense of discontent in Taylor's life, in his heart. There's something not quite right. There's something missing. And he had a heart, not for the people on the coast, but people inland in China. Not the successful city-based, westernized Chinese people, but the rural farmers inland who'd never met anyone outside of their village, never met a missionary, never heard the gospel before. Now, uh, the missionaries at the time that were being sent were uh, from the educated upper class, like the doctors and the engineers and the teachers and the, 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 you know, the very peak of society. And one of the questions Hudson asked was, where are, where's the working class? Where's the farmers? Where's the shears? Where's the cobblers? Where's the nurses, the laborers? Where are those people on mission where they could go and they could really relate to the people inland in China? And so Taylor created, Hudson Taylor created this organization called China Inland Mission. So about the mission inland. It is now known as Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And it broke away from the, the conventional uh, missionary groups. It grew up, broke away from the institutional church and the funding that came with that and the support that came with that. And he, he, he started a missionary um, group and started sending missions inland in China, asking pretty much everyone and their dog to consider missions and to consider coming with him in, on mission inland in China. And he took massive risks sending these people inland where there'll be no support, no communication, very little funding, and, and, and it was a faith-based missions. Why would he take such big risks with people's lives, sending them inland? Particularly because he had a good thing going on. It's not like things weren't working on the coast and here's another option to try something that might work. If things were working, things were going well, why did he have such a desire to go inland to other people groups who didn't know Jesus? In a, in a, in a book uh, Hudson Taylor wrote, he, he said this, how few of the Lord's people of Christians have practically recognized the truth that Christ is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Let me say that again. How few of the Lord's people have practically recognized the truth that Christ is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And what he's saying is that if we truly believe that Jesus is Lord, it's all or nothing. Jesus is the Lord of all, all people, all nations. Every people group on the coast and inland. God is the Lord of those people. 
and they need to meet their Lord. So there was that element. There was also the element of God is the Lord of all. He has all authority. And so when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, he actually means all nations. That's what Hudson Taylor was convicted of. To go and bring God's mission, God, the, the truth of Jesus, to all nations. And so, so should we as a church be concerned with cross-cultural mission, with mission to other nations, to other people group? And where's, where's the balance of where we invest our time and effort and money of there's, there's lots to do here, right? There's lots to do inside the church. There's lots to do in our local communities. There's lots to do in, in Australia. And there's lots to do overseas. Like, where do we invest our time and our money? Also, there's the question of, well, what about, like, what do we actually do once we get there? Should we be most concerned about social justice, of caring for people, of loving people, of, of you know, caring for the poor and the sick and the, the widows and the, the vulnerable? Or should we be uh, concerned with evangelizing, telling, telling people the truth of Jesus and saving souls? What, 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 where should we be investing our time and our money? This is the question I want to wrestle with. These are the questions I want to wrestle with uh, in tonight's message. And, and, and really what it comes down to, what we're going to do is we're going to take a helicopter ride through the Bible. It's going to be a wild ride. Asking the question, what is the purpose of God's mission? What's the purpose? We'll be exploring a few things, but that's what the key thing I want to ask. And all these other things will, will fall out of that. And so what we'll look at, we'll, we'll look at uh, the scope of, his, of God's mission, the means, how God goes about his mission, the solution, and then the realization. And we'll, uh, we'll cover the full story of the Bible. And if you, you know, we're going we're gonna to scratch the surface here, do a helicopter view. If you want more detail, go along on Saturday with Melinda Cousins, the story, getting the big picture of how the Bible fits together. What is the story of the Bible? Highly, highly recommend going along. But we'll start at the beginning. We'll start in the Old Testament. And now some people might ask, well, why waste our time in the Old Testament? If we've got to talk about missions, we should go to the New Testament in books like Acts, where there's obviously a lot of missional effort. Because the Old Testament, we read that, and it kind of comes across like it's only concerned with the Israelite people. The Old Testament's all about one people group, and that's it. The New Testament is the one that really unpacks and, and, and God's mission explodes to others. Why would we spend time in the Old Testament? One scholar said, the decisive difference between the Old and the New Testament is mission. The New Testament is essentially a book about mission. Now, it doesn't say it, but that implies that the Old Testament isn't. Is that right? I heard a no, correct. But we'll get there. <laughs> so let's begin with creation. Let's begin in the beginning. And if you know um, the story of the Bible, the Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the earth. Correct. God created 
sorry if that's patronizing. You're doing a great job. Um, he created the heavens and the earth. He created light and dark, day and night, sea and sky, land and sea. And um, he filled the land and sky and the sea with all animals and creatures and vegetation. And then he created human beings in his image. In, in, it says, in our image, uh, let's create human beings, male and female. He created them. And God blessed human beings and he gave them a job to do, to rule and enjoy the creation that, that God's created. And he built a garden for, uh, for the people that God could visit and have a relationship with his people. When he, when he did all these things and he created the world and he created people and, and established his relationship, what he said was, this is very good, very good. And God's desire for his people, for the people he's created, is good, is goodness for, for human beings and his creation to enjoy and, and, and express and live out the goodness of God and, and appreciate being part of that. But things were great. We're going fantastic in the Garden of Eden, it's known as. But... Human beings, we wanted to, we weren't satisfied with God's good. We wanted to define our own good. Instead of submitting and and enjoying and uh, celebrating God's good, we decided to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong and what is good. And we disobeyed the one command that God gave to his people. And instead of submitting to God's rule and authority as the creator of the world, who desires a relationship, who desires good for us, we wanted to make our own good and go our own way and define that for ourselves. And that's the problem of sin. And that made the world a broken and corrupt and very dark place. Because by trying to go our own way and create our own good, we've separated ourselves from the goodness of God. And so God created the whole world and he desired to have a relationship with his people. But now there's a problem. There's sin. And there's a few, there's lots to learn from the origin story and the, the Genesis story. But a couple of things. The one is, is the scope. God creates all of creation. In the story, there's nothing, there's no exceptions. There's nothing outside of what God created. He creates all things and he creates, he's created all people. And his desire for the good of all people, his desire to have a relationship with all people, that's universal. Right from the beginning, the scope of God's mission is universal. All people, all nations, all people groups. It's also the problem is universal. The problem of seeking our own good, defining right from wrong for ourselves, that's universal. But God's mission of pursuing a relationship with people, that's universal. 
Now, the scope is universal, but the means by which he does it is specific. And in the Old Testament, the means by which God uh, fulfills his mission and works on his mission is through the people of Israel. And that all started with a man called, actually, who was it? Who, who started the nation of Israel? All before then, the patriarch of Israel was Abraham, almost. It's Abram. He was known as Abram before he was known as Abraham. But that, I just wanted to trick you guys. You're, you're doing really well. <laughs> Sorry, just give me a moment to find the page. Um, now, when I grew up, the impression of Abraham I had was uh, of a really good, godly man who prayed all the time and read his Bible, even though the Bible wasn't written. And, you know, someone who walked with God, like, you know, one of those kind of characters. Like we know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. And we have this, this picture of Abraham, of this faithful man, that God comes and he meets with Abram and he says, oh, you're such a great godly guy. And I want to use that and create a nation. But if you actually read Abram's origin, it's a very different picture. Uh, and this is really fascinating and, and interesting. Uh, his, Abram's dad is called Terah. And Genesis 11, verse 31, the bit just before what Jess read to us, it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And now those names and those places probably don't mean very much to us. But to the original readers, these are the names and places of pagan cities. Like the enemy of Israel, the, the people who were idol worshippers and even child sacrifices. Like the, the really grotesque, um, pro, uh, you know, as, as far away from God as you can imagine. Like the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. Like biblically, that's like the big bad guy in the Old Testament was the, was the Chaldeans. And that's kind of where Abram came from. And it's, so it's not the case that Abram was this good, godly Christian guy that God called because he was such a good Christian. He was a pagan. He was from a different cultural background. And God crossed that cultural barrier to call him out to be his people, to, to, to begin the nation of Israel. And so God said, you know, 12 verse 1, he said to Abram, go from your country and your kingdom and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God calls Abram out. He, God is the one that initiates his mission. It wasn't Abram who kind of caught wind of the mission and went. God is the one who initiated his mission with Abram. And in this mission, he, he calls Abram out and he says, I will make you into a great nation, a great people, and I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all the nations. Now, what is blessing? What does being blessed mean? 
And a great um, understanding of that is, is taken from number six. And this is this blessing, the Aaronic blessing, has been made famous by the song, uh, The Blessing. And as I read it, you, you might recognize the words. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses um, and he says, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to, to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So what is the blessing of God? It's, it's being blessed. It's being kept, being precious to God. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Receive like God being gracious and loving towards his people. Uh, lift up his countenance upon you, give you uh, honor and um, his face towards you and give you peace. Experience the peace of God. That's the blessing that God promises to Abram. And at the heart of it, what blessing is, is having the favor of God, being part of his family, being part of his people. As 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 a father sees and recognizes their child doing amazing things, the pride and the, the um, just the joy that is towards their child. Like when my son Josh or Noah do something amazing and they're pretty amazing kids, there's this profound sense of pride. And I'm just so proud of them. I love them. I speak so highly of them. That's the blessing of God, that deep relationship of a child with their, their father, the heavenly father, the perf- perfect father. But that blessing isn't to, to stay with the people of God. It's not like an exclusive club that has the favor of God and that's where it begins and ends. Moses says, you will be blessed so that you will be a blessing. And that all people will be blessed through you. And that's where we see uh, in the psalm that was read, Psalm 67, where it takes the Aaronic blessing and it kind of unpacks what it means for all people. I don't don't know if you recognize that as we read it. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us. And that's like ringing alarm bells or ringing those bells of, yeah, that's from... Number six, that's the ironic blessing that we say to the people of Israel. But then it continues, so that your ways may be known on all the earth. So that your salvation may be known to all nations. And so the blessing of God doesn't end with the people of God. It goes out, spreads out to all nations. And so God's mission is through the people of God to all nations. God is not concerned with Israel alone. His concern is for all nations, for all nations to see and know God. He pursues a relationship with all all the nations through the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And so the God of the Old Testament is ascending God. He sends Moses out. He sends Israel out to be a blessing. And he's deeply concerned with the nations. In Isaiah chapter 60, um, uh, 
Israel was to be a light to the nations. Let me read this to you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, the darkness covers the earth, and the thick darkness is over all peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you, Israel. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Israel was to be heralds and to be vessels of God's light, to God's blessing to the nations. And the nations, the other people from other people groups, had access to God through the nation of Israel, through the temple. The temple that sat in the middle of Jerusalem that housed the very presence of God behind a very thick curtain. Now, the the other nations couldn't go all the way up to the very presence of God. But there was a space in the outer courts available to Gentiles, to other nations, so that they could approach, approach God. But it wasn't enough. And Israel were called to be a light, but they kept messing it up. They kept embracing the darkness of the world. They kept embracing and choosing for themselves uh, what they felt was right rather than submitting to God's goodness and God's will. So there was still a problem. God was on mission through the people of the Old Testament, but it wasn't enough. And it was only the forerunner of God's ultimate solution, His ultimate mission. And that was through Jesus. God crossed a cultural barrier to pursue Abram. God crossed a metaphysical barrier to pursue human beings. The creator pursuing, becoming part of his creation to pursue a relationship with us, with all people. Jesus is God's physical presence on earth. And, he, and Jesus came to bring blessing. He healed people. He was kind and generous to people. He taught. He preached on the kingdom of God. He told people what it was like to be part of God's people. He gave a compelling vision of, of what it means to be a follower and means to love God and what it means to, to obey God. Now, a question that's often asked of Jesus is, was Jesus missional? Was Jesus concerned with other nations, because he spent a lot of time with other Israelites, and all of his disciples were Israelite people. And he spent most of his time in Jerusalem. And so a similar question is asked of Jesus. Was Jesus concerned with cross-cultural mission, with other nations? Or was it just his disciples who took his teaching and his work and applied it to the nations? Was Jesus missional? Yes, Good. Well done, whoever said that. <laughs> yes. Now, I could, actually, I will. What are some stories of Jesus engaging and interacting with other nations? Let's hear it. Like, there, there are some great examples. There's the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, uh, where Jesus engages with the Samaritans, who are like the sworn enemies of Israel, who who compromised and, and intermarried with other nations and they're known as like, oh, they're the Samaritans. No one likes them. Jesus goes and speaks to a Samaritan woman. What else? Other examples. The centurion. 
Yeah, in my, I don't know if it's the one you mean, Mark's gospel, where the centurion is the one who says, surely this is the son of God. Oh, and the one the daughter said, yeah, multiple examples, yeah. Yeah, I should have looked read up on this. There's also a tricky situation. Tricky one. Um, yeah, there's the woman, Jesus goes and travels, maybe he is in Tyre and Sidon up, up north into a, a very pagan city, and he engages with this, this woman uh, who, who asks him to heal her daughter. And Jesus says uh, this saying about um, the crumbs under the table. And the woman responds, well, even the dog's eat the crumbs off the table. And there's this really weird, we won't go into it because it's a very tricky passage. But the outcome is that Jesus rewards this woman for her faith, this foreign pagan woman. Jesus is deeply concerned with cross-cultural mission, with, with engaging with the other nations. And ultimately, even above all of that, the work that Jesus did on the cross made a way not just for Israel to approach the presence of God, but for all people to approach the presence of God. A made a way for, for God to establish a relationship with His people, to restore and mend that broken world, that problem. And on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, He paid the debt of sin that all people owe. So that, that what separates us from God could be restored. And that, that applied to the nation of Israel, that applied to all nations. And the curtain in the temple that separated the, the, the world from the presence of God, in the temple that only Israelites could, could be part of and, and go into, and even only the, the, the priests could come close to the curtain, that curtain was torn. When Jesus died on the cross, it was torn. It was torn top to bottom as if God himself was tearing this curtain, tearing this divide that separated the world from his presence. And the great blessing that Jesus brings, the, the, the blessing that he achieves, he talks about in John 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. The work that God gave Jesus, God the Father gave Jesus' Son to do. The, the mission Jesus went to, to do, to accomplish. Jesus has, has done it. He's finished it. And what he's done, he's offered us eternal life, eternal blessing. And what is eternal life? It's knowing God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. It's having a relationship with God. That is the work that Jesus has done and achieved for all people, all nations. Now, that was the mission accomplished. That was the solution to the big problem of the world. But the work kept on going. There was still God's means and mission to all nations. There's still an ongoing mission. 
uh, just before Jesus ascended to, to be with his Father in heaven, in Luke chapter 24, he's speaking to disciples. And this is one of the commissions to God's people. From verse 45, he says, Then he opened their minds so they would understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. There's a few things there. I want to highlight. The first is the Messiah, the, like the promised king, uh, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So we'll achieve that work to restore a relationship. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in Jesus' name, to all nations, to all people, beginning in Jerusalem. And he says, who, like, who will be the ones to preach, to bring that message to all people? It's his disciples, the people that he's speaking to. And Jesus says, you, will, you are witnesses of these things. Now, what Jesus, he's not saying you are observers of these things. He's not talking about witnesses of someone who, like, witnessed, sees an event, observes an event. Like, I, I witness a plane flying through the sky. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's more talking about the witness in a, in a legal sense of come, someone who comes and witnesses and gives evidence of an event that's happened and tells other people for the purpose of convincing them that this thing actually happened. That's the sense that Jesus says you are witnesses of these things, witnesses that will go out and tell people what has happened. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. And what did the Father promise to his people? The Holy Spirit. The, the very presence of God in his people. He says, you will be clothed with power from on high. He sends his disciples out to, to be witnesses, to bring this message, to bring this blessing to all nations. But they're not going alone. It's the very presence of God going out to all nations. And so no longer in the Old Testament, the nations came to Israel, came to the temple to experience the presence of God. In the New Testament, Jesus is the physical presence of God. And he, he, he lives, he dies, he goes to heaven. Then he sends his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit in the lives of his people, in the lives of the church, goes out to all nations. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. It's referred to in a few places, the body of Christ. The church, and I mean the church, the people, not the building and institution. I think we get that. Church, the people are the hands and feet of God, working out his mission, working out his mission. And so in the Old Testament, God is the initiator of mission. God is ascending God. God is deeply concerned with other nations. In the New Testament, it's the same. God is the one that initiates mission. God is ascending God, sending his people to the nations. And God is deeply concerned with all the world, every people group, all people. And the ultimate goal, the realization of the mission. We can see one of Jesus' apostles, John, had a vision 
of the end, of what would happen. God gifted him a, a revelation of, of the, the, the end of the story, the end of, of his mission, mission accomplished. And in it, in Revelation 7, John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Jesus. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they were worshiping God. They were worshiping the Lamb. And one of the elders asked, Who are these in in the robes, and, and where do they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they worship and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them or any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is mission accomplished. The vision we see at the end is people from every tribe, every people, every nation, every language, gathered around God, worshiping him living out the goodness of God, experiencing the blessing of God of being in His presence, being His people, and experience the blessing of of no more pain, no more suffering, of the injustice being made right, of pain being restored and healed, brokenness being made whole. That is the mission. That is the goal. That the work that God, God achieves, that God brings about, that Jesus has done and will do. But he also sends his people out with his presence through the Holy Spirit to to be a part of, to partner in. And so as God's people, as people who believe and trust in Jesus, we're both recipients of God's mission. We're the ones that he's come to pursue and to save. But we also become agents of God's mission being sent out into the world to bring his blessing that people won't know God. And so what is the purpose of God's mission? To put it quite simply, it's to bless the nations. It's to bring blessing to the world. And John Piper, one of his famous, a famous pastor in the States, one of his most famous lines is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that is God's mission, that the world would be satisfied in God and not in other things. And so the scope of his mission is all of it, the whole world's a universal scope. The means uh, is, was initially through the people of Israel and now it's through Jesus and Jesus' body, that is the church. And so is God concerned with cross-cultural mission? Yes, of course he is. Is God concerned with local mission? Yes, of course he is. is. Does God have a part for you and I to play? Yes, he does. He does. If we love God and follow him, we'll be concerned about the well-being and the blessing of every nation, of all people. 
because God is a missional God and he is concerned with the well-being of every nation and all people. Now, I want to finish with one of those questions at the start. Should we be more concerned with social justice or with evangelism, with sharing the gospel? Or you could add into the mix, should we be concerned with creation care, of restoring the world and the earth? And um, you can see it a bit like a train. In the morning, I, there was kids still in the service, so I talked about a train and its carriages, although I used the word tra- trailer because I couldn't remember the word carriages. But we're, we, I'm sure there's some adults here who love playing with trains, and this, this analogy will help you as well. I got you, mate. Well, sometimes we think that the gospel is the train, is the engine. Sharing the gospel, and by, by sharing the gospel and, and evangelizing and converting people and saving souls, that will bring about social justice. So the primary goal is evangelizing, and then by them being saved, that's a gracious thing to do. That's a just and, and a loving thing to do. That will achieve social justice. The other way of looking at it is that we love, we, uh, love people. We, um, we want to see social justice and care for people and, and see right, rights wronged and justice in the world. And so we're, we concern ourselves with social justice and, and that will open a door to share the gospel. And so the, the driver, the train, the engine is social justice and the carriage is the gospel. And you add the other carriage is creation care or creation care is the driver. And that unpacks, that's a way of caring for the world and, and that unlocks opportunities to evangelize. And, and with all those different models, there's a risk of overemphasizing or underemphasizing and, and making one more important than others and, and things gets getting really confusing and even missing the point. What I would say the engine is, is God's blessing, his purpose, his mission, his love for the world, his pursuit of relationship with the world. And what comes with that is the carriage of sharing the gospel, the truth that the only way to be saved is through Jesus. And the what comes with that is the carriage of social justice, of his people caring and loving for people. And what comes with that is the carriage of creation care, of caring and, and, and taking care of the world that God's put us in. And if we're driven by the mission of God, by the love of God, all these things will follow and flow out of us. God is a God of love, deeply concerned with all people and all nations. He's deeply concerned about you. And about me. And about everyone outside of this building. And if we trust in Jesus, we are recipients of that pursuit. That we we have a renewed and restored and a saved relationship from God. Our sin, the brokenness, trying to go our own way, all that is forgiven. And we're not just recipients of the mission. We become agents of the mission. We become God's very hands and feet in the world to take his very presence out into the nations. Now, that might be overseas. That might be to a different people group. It might just be across the room or across the street where we can be used by God to bring his blessing and his love 
to the people he's so deeply concerned about. We all have a part to play on God's mission. We are his church. We are the primary means of his mission. Not the exclusive means. God, we know God works through other ways. He's given people visions and dreams. He draws people to himself in other ways. But from Scripture, the church is his primary means of his mission. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? The Lord Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And he is Lord of all, all people. And he's called us to go out and to love and to bless all people. Where is that for you? Where is that for me? Let's, uh, let's finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love of us, that even though all of us have chosen to go our own way and Um, chosen to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong and seek our own good. You didn't hand us over to that and give up and start something new or um, you, you, you loved us too much to do that. And we thank you for Jesus that you came down and you crossed all kinds of barriers to pursue us. Even the barrier of death itself. You submit, Jesus, submit himself to death so that we could live. Lord, we thank you for giving us eternal life in Jesus, that we may know you and we may know Jesus and be known by you. Lord, you know, we're not just the recipients of your mission. We are also the agents of your mission. So we pray you would equip us and fill us with your Holy Spirit to go out, to be your very presence in the world and bring your blessing. Lord, we pray you would captivate us with the love you have of all nations. And Lord, there may be some people here that you're just niggling at and giving a vision of where they might be called to serve overseas, a different people group, bringing your love and social justice, caring for the poor, or recovery in, in sick and hurting and broken places, or translating the Bible making your word and your truth available to more and more people or going out and sharing the gospel, sharing the truth that it's only through Jesus we can be saved and only through Jesus we can have eternal life. Lord, whatever it is, we pray you would reveal that to us, show it to us, captivate us, get us passionate about what, how you might be using us in this world. And Lord, in all this, we pray that we as a church, as a whole community would be passionate about your mission, that it would be your mission and not ours, that we wouldn't get distracted or deceived into doing things that are just not helpful or doing things that only serve ourselves. Lord, we want to take risks. We want to make sacrifices. Well, really, we don't, but Lord, we, we do want to do that for you because you sacrificed so much to pursue us. And Lord, there's nothing we could give that you haven't already given us. There's nothing we could sacrifice that you haven't given and achieved us so much more. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done through Jesus. We thank you for the work you've done to bring all of us into relationship with you. We thank and praise you and look forward to the work that you're going to do through us for your glory on your mission.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.